Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of Arsenal and Football Studies. This week, had no Arsenal activity due to the international break, but we think we still got some interesting things to talk about with you, so come and join us. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. Actually, I should say, it's not entirely true there was no Arsenal action. Arsenal players were in action in some of the <laughs> national teams, we should point out. The only one really to mention, I mean, we, you can run on the list to find a bunch of places. Uh, two of them to mention, though. Eddie and Katia received his England debut, so hurrah uh, for Eddie. And uh, Gabriel Magalhaes scored his first goal for Brazil, a thumping header in their uh, in their uh, World Cup qualifier. So, so wait, great there's... job with them. There's another Brazilian Gabriel who I never heard of on Arsenal. Well, it's 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 Gabriel, the defender. Oh, right? oh, and I can never remember his last name. Right? Okay, got it. Right. Usually we call him Gabriel, and then we add the last right. name Jesus Martinelli. Right. So. <laughs> yep. Okay, makes sense. Um, so before we get to anything else, I have a, a, a small surprise. So I'm I'm wearing a jersey underneath the sweatshirt. And I want you to guess what it is before I reveal what it is that I'm wearing underneath this. I was about to say, are we, are we playing this game where, like, you start, is this the kind of show we are now where you take your clothes off on camera? <laughs> I, I don't recall. That did not come up in the production meeting. I just want everyone to know that that was that. Uh, I promise that, A, there is something underneath the sweatshirt, and, B, it is a soccer jersey. Oh, and we've got helpful Mac OS giving us a <laughs> thumbs-up bubble over there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, that, you know, I, I have, was completely unaware this was gonna happen, so this guess is entirely out of left field. I'm going to guess that you're rocking a messy Argentina jersey. That's a very good guess. <laughs> and that would make more sense in a lot of ways than what I am wearing. And oh. I will show you and then explain it afterwards. Oh, all right. <laughs> Oh, you did it. You broke down. Oh, the reason that I ended up with an Arsenal away jersey that when we first discussed these kits, I said, yeah, there's no way I'm buying that one. (laughs) Of course, my son had to end up playing for a team with this highlighter yellow green color as their jersey, which gave me an unavoidable excuse like, oh, well, hey, they don't give the coaches jerseys for soccer. Appropriately so. Like we do that in baseball because baseball managers do wear their team's jerseys, right? In soccer, we don't do that appropriately so. But I want to show team spirit so my team happens to have a second kit the same season in this color so this is my game jersey now when i'm coaching <laughs> I, i'm just still laughing at the fact that you started with an unavoidable excuse going on um but well okay then um <laughs> Did not see that coming for all kinds of reasons. I have a, I have an Arsenal yellow. I, I, it's good to see you're you're jumping in on the the kit collection game. Yeah, right. um, that's a <laughs> that is a choice, as they say. That is a choice. Um, yep. But uh, but good for you. Good. You got you got to build out that Arsenal collection somehow. And uh, we'll we'll see. I'm sure you'll see it more than the general public. But we'll we'll see how much I end up actually wearing this outside of the house. Uh, that that is yet to be determined. <laughs> 
other, 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 of course, than, than, you know, wearing it as, as in your, in coaching, you know, it's your coaching uniform. Just as I would wear my other jerseys out and about sometimes, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how much play this one gets. Oh, actually, uh, my son's messy jersey also arrived not too long after I received my own. It was, it was projected to still be out into November, but he received that this week. So he's excited to wear that. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. I, I am, I am not rocking a a kit this evening. It's just a, a t-shirt, uh, done for New York City FC. Uh, celebrating our nickname, the pigeons, uh, because what could be more New York than a rat with wings? Um, why, why? I mean, obviously I understand the connection to New York with pigeons, but why would they choose that? Well, this is, well, it, it started with a, with a fan. It was, it was, it was a fan led thing, uh, including it was a guy who showed up, started showing up to games in the first season wearing, uh, like one of those plastic, uh, you know, rubber, like pigeon head masks. Um, and he just started. He started calling himself the NYCFC Pigeon. I mean, he he like started up a, a Twitter account and you know did like all sorts of fundraising for charity. I met him once or twice. Super nice guy. Um, but yeah, he's the NYCFC Pigeon, and the fans have kind of adapted this as this weird, uh, weird mascot or nickname for the team. And so the the club at one point released a kit, and this was on the well the jock tag, so the little thing down here at the bottom corner. Okay. I mean, it's this it's this pigeon mosaic, which is. <laughs> Um, both classy and not classy all at the same time. So uh, I thought about putting on a kit and I was like, wait a minute, I'm wearing the pigeon shirt. I'm wearing the pigeon shirt on air. So, yeah. So a little bit of follow up from last week. Uh, we talked about the fun day football. Um, first, there's a question I meant to ask last week that I didn't get to. So I'm watching this. I really have practically zero exposure to the NFL, probably less than the average non-football fan. I don't even watch the Super Bowl typically in any given year, unless there's a really strong reason to do so. And there's typically not like when the Bears played, I watched the Super Bowl that year. Right. But generally, I almost never watch the Super Bowl even. So. I'm watching this Toy Story themed animated version and there's two um, commentators providing commentary. And it was actually most of what I actually watched because as described, the part that I watched had a lot of technical difficulties. They were showing the commentators more than the action on the field. The one guy, they were showing that his name is Booger McFarland. Now, is this Disney drawing kids into the game? Or if this were a regular NFL broadcast, would I see a grown man with the first name Booger, but he has chosen not to change? Well, his his given first name is Anthony. Right. Um, and he, he, was, he is a former player who goes by Booger. Okay. Uh, he, 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 that was the name he was known by when he played in the league. That is the name he is known by on ESPN regularly so yes he is you you your eyes are not deceiving you um okay yep that yeah that's it there's nothing else to that story that that, that's a grown man called booger okay so (laughs) i did a little bit of digging also to to answer some of our unresolved questions about the fun day football so it, it is clearly building on the types of things that they did with the big city greens classic um, that they did in partnership with the NHL. Um, they did advance the technology and necessarily so. They, they were explaining in one of the articles. I'll, I'll have a link in the, in the show notes in the description on YouTube. Um, apparently, like if you think about how a hockey player in motion looks compared to how a football player in motion looks, 
most hockey players are generally kind of the same. You can get away with like one skating animation. You can get away with one slap shot animation, right? It all looks pretty much the same. Well, that's not the case. When you're talking about football players with complete range of motion freedom, right, to do whatever they want with their all four of their limbs at any given time, they needed to grow the technology to represent how their limbs looked. That was one thing that they worked on. And apparently they use a combination of not only Hawkeye, like we've talked about, like those same cameras all over the place. Um, but then also chips, the, like tracking chips, microchips inside the players. I don't know if it's in their helmets or the jerseys, but chips on the player as well as in the ball. And that helped with everything that they wanted to do. So hmm. they are, they are growing it. They clearly have designs on doing this more broadly as, as time goes on. So. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, otherwise, yeah, it's kind of an interesting use of the technology, but really it does become like that, that proof of concept notion, right? Once we start to do it, then you can start to discuss all the ways it applies, but first you have to make it work, so. Yep. All right, let's get to our World Cup qualification updates. So we've got some updates for Conmebol in South America, and we've got some AFC. We will try to use that without any qualifications going forward, but that is the Asian Football Confederation. Um, it can mean other things in other contexts, not least of which Arsenal Football Club, which which makes it a little bit confusing on our show. But yeah, in, in this context, we're talking about Asia. And uh, so, yeah, take it away. Uh, what happened with Colombia in the past week? Uh, so Colombia uh, uh, last week, it was on Thursday, uh, played a, a 2-2 draw at home with Uruguay. Um, James Rodriguez, Mateus Uribe got the goals. Uh, Camilo Vargas picked up a red card in the 87th minute. Reading the recap, I, I, it looks like looks like it, he it, it, he did have a yellow way back in the beginning of the game, like the eighth or ninth minute. Uh, it looks though this was the second one was a straight red, oh. and then um, so he'll probably he'll miss a couple of games. Uh, and then uh, Uruguay equalized on a uh, penalty in stoppage time, 90 plus one minutes. Uh, Darwin Nunez, who plays for Liverpool. Uh, got the goal, and that's uh, some disappointing points dropped for uh, Los Cafeteros. Uh, they are currently, though, sitting still in, in third in qualifying the standings, a uh, point ahead of Uruguay, but still, you know, the, the ideal is you win at home and draw on the road, and that's generally the way to get yourself into into the advancing through qualification, so to drop points at home is a little annoying. Uh, they will play. We're recording on Monday as usual. Uh, they do have a game tomorrow, Tuesday. They go to Ecuador. Um, Quito is a tougher place to play, but the elevation. So that'll be, a, you know, Ecuador is not great, but that'll be a little tougher. So again, kind of a, the sting of dropping points at home, but, but to a, but to a good side like Uruguay. Um, how about, how about the, uh, the champions? I'm sorry, uh, I, I missed. Uh, what did you? What was their name? What do they go by? Oh, which one are we talking about? Argentina. Oh, I call, I call them the champions. The champions. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. there was a nickname that I missed. No, they, they, their nickname was, I believe, it's the Albi Celestes, the bl- the blue and light, white, like blue and whites. But Los Campeones, they'll they'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, they had a one nil defeat over Paraguay. Uh, that was last week. Um, Messi. Did travel to uh, Paro, or I guess that, that was home. I don't remember if it was home or away, actually. Uh, I believe they were at home. Yeah, yeah Buenos Aires. 
So regardless, he's traveling either way because he's not playing in South America now. But um, he did make it to the match. Uh, apparently, he was a second-half substitution. Uh, the first goal was already scored in the third minute by Nicolas Otamendi. Um, and so he didn't contribute any goals, but it was good to see him uh, strong enough to still be playing internationally as well as domestically. So um, that was good. And uh, as with Colombia, they are traveling tomorrow, Tuesday, to play Peru. So we'll see what comes of that. We'll have an update next week. Uh, meanwhile, in AFC, uh, since you did the digging on this one, you want to give updates for my team, India, and your team, Japan? Sure. So uh, first, as we mentioned uh, last time, Japan and India did not participate in qualifiers this time because they are in the second round of Asian qualifying. Uh, they're going through the first round of qualification. We're not going to run through all 10 games because... I really can't speak even mildly intelligently all of them. However, we do know currently what which uh, pairings will wind up in each team's group. So we know India is going to be in Group A uh, with Qatar and Kuwait, and they will be joined by the winner of the of pairing number one, which is Afghanistan and Mongolia. Uh, the Afghans uh, took the first leg one nil. Uh, played in uh, Tajikistan because, for various reasons, they really can't play in Afghanistan. Uh, and the second leg will be tomorrow, Tuesday, in Mongolia. So we'll see if uh, the Afghans can hold on to a 1-0 lead or if Mongolia at home uh, makes the difference. Meanwhile, on the other side, um, for Japan, the team that will join them in their group, the Japan's in a group with looking at a group B with Syria and North Korea, uh, they will face the winner of pairing number five, which is Myanmar and Macau. Uh, leg one was in Yangon and Myanmar, 5-1 to the hosts. Uh, leg two will be in Macau. It, it is unlikely that Macau will overturn a 5-1 deficit. So it seems likely uh, Japan will open its qualifying campaign against Myanmar in the November window. Right. Um, so that's that's the in terms of qualifying in Asia. That's how that looks. Sure. Um, we also I also did take the liberty of mostly out of my own curiosity, looking ahead to see what each team did during uh, the the break instead. And I think it tells us a lot about where these two countries are internationally. <laughs> right. Um, Very in different Europe, places. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Geographically, but also a little bit of talking about sort of the the level they are, and and really, so we sort of talk about this, right? The difference between a team that can play, you know, some of the better countries in the world. You know, I watched the U.S. this weekend. We can mention that, uh, but also as you go further down the ladder, um, you know, your opportunities for games look like. Uh, India played in something called the Merdeka tournament. I think it's called. I think that's how it's pronounced. Merdeka, which was being held in Malaysia. In Kuala Lumpur, uh, they lost. In it looks like a it looked like it was a it's like a small tournament, um, just a semifinals and then a final. Um, they they lost in the semifinal to Malaysia, the hosts. Uh, Malaysia will play Tajikistan in the final that appears to be tomorrow. Uh, India is not playing in a third place game, which I don't know if that's because they never plan to have a third place game or because the proposed fourth team in the tournament uh, was to be uh, Palestine, who withdrew from the tournament for reasons we don't need to get into here uh, on this kind of podcast. But I think, you know, Palestine pulls out. India, uh, you know, I believe it was Tajikistan has the walkover, uh, what they call a walkover, which is, again, a for, uh, just a forfeit. Um, 
and uh, they will play. Yeah, they will play um, Malaysia in the final. Apparently, also Lebanon was originally supposed to in there, and then decided to withdraw. So yeah, here here you go again. Here's how fun this works. The original tournament field was uh, Palestine, Lebanon, India, and Malaysia. Lebanon withdrew because they were drawn into the same qualifying group as Palestine, and they didn't want to play them more than that. So Lebanon pulled out. Um, they were replaced by Tajikistan, and then Palestine withdrew. Um, you know, right before the tournament started, and so you're left with just three teams. And this is the kind of thing that can happen sometimes that when you get down to this level, you're really talking about not even a second, maybe even not even necessarily a third tier of, of quality, but this kind of, you know, third, fourth tier, this kind of lower level. For some of these countries, it's really hard to get games in. You know, obviously there's their own political difficulties, but sometimes there's just the finances, you know, to for, for Palestine or Tajikistan, even to get to Malaysia's, you know, yeah, a fair chunk of change. And uh, so, you know, it, you can see it, sometimes it can be hard. You know, Malaysia, Tajikistan, India all came into this probably expecting to play two games. And now Malaysia is going to get to play two games and that's it. India gets one and lost. Tajikistan gets a walkover. And now they are playing just the one game. So, it, you know, that's just one less opportunity to play together, one less opportunity to get the, that practice, that experience. And, you know, we'll see how that shows up when you get to uh, qualifying in the next window. Sure. So I'm curious. So the, the U S men's national team game you were talking about, that was against Germany, right? Yes. They played Germany in Hartford. Uh, so so not far from you actually. No, uh, no, the weather, far. the weather looked terrible. So, uh, um, yeah, it's 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 been a year uh, in the Northeast for for weather. Uh, it's one that I will not soon forget. Um, yeah, but yeah. So I'm curious, how and where did you watch that? Was that on Max? Because I actually got a notification that it's being covered on Max. So I'm not sure if that's exclusive or not. It 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 is being held up. It's so it's owned by I, I forget who the overall owner of that. Whoever owns that company also owns the Turner Networks. So I believe it was on TNT. Or TBS, okay. one of the Turner networks. So it was it was simulcast. It was both on television, but also being streamed on Max. Uh, I watched it on TV because um, I had streaming pulled up to watch something else because it's sure. Saturday and I watch football, obviously. <laughs> um, All right. So uh, another uh, international break question before we move on is, mm-hmm. uh, so just now I was on YouTube for something and I saw they were offering for me to watch a recap of Arsenal versus Aston Villa. Mm. I was like, Oh, is this a really old game? And then I was saying, Oh no, wait, the date was yesterday. I was like, Oh, I guess they're pro- playing a friendly with like their second team or something like that. And I opened it up. I was like, Oh, it's the women. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering, so obviously it's the men's international break. Mm-hmm. Um, women have different international breaks like what what's the deal with that i mean do they and and the follow-up question that that goes along with that is even for the men if this were like let's say i don't know well i guess never mind i was gonna say if this is like earlier if it's a if it was spaced differently if we were not right if we were not in the run-up to the world cup but i guess you're always in the run-up to the world cup is the answer (laughs) it's like last year it was the world cup Mm. (laughs) and clearly like a year before you're going to be qualifying for that world cup so i guess yeah we're we're, we always have the same international break structure last year was just weird because of the winter world cup 
But. Yeah, over the last couple of years, with, with the Winter World Cup, but also with COVID, has sort of jostled some things around. Um, and I think we mentioned this. Basically, over the year, you have international breaks in March, technically in June, although for a lot of the big leagues, like in Europe, they're off in June anyway. Um, then you have one September, October, and November. And typically, you'll see in June and July is when uh, you'll see a lot of the the large tournaments. So the the Euros will be this this coming summer, summer of twenty four. Copa America, which the U.S. hopes to be in, is the South American Championship. Um, you know, so you'll see you'll see those games as well going on, and that'll be that'll occur in. Um, in the summer breaks. And so there aren't really that many, uh, but things have gotten a little jostled around. Not so much the breaks themselves when they occur, but what games are played there and how those games are stacking up. We should also mention with Japan did play, you know, in terms of talking about quality of games, right? India plays in this kind of tournament that's sort of barely holding itself together. Japan played two friendlies. The U S you know, as we saw played Germany, they'll play Ghana tomorrow. Japan played uh, Canada, beat them 4-1, and then we'll play Tunisia tomorrow, uh, both both those games in Japan. So as you go up that level, I mean, you know, Japan goes to the World Cup, Canada was in the World Cup, Tunisia is usually on the brink, if not in the World Cup. As you go up in quality, these are the teams that each other want to play, U.S., Germany, Ghana. Uh, Ghana, I believe, played Mexico as well over the weekend. So once you get up into that level, you're playing these friendlies, which these teams make a bunch of money for. Plus, they get the experience of playing in those games. So, right. you know, what those breaks get used for, Every you know, you have your tournaments and your qualification, things you're qualifying for or participating participating in. But then also, you know, like these Asian teams that are not going to get knocked out officially later this week. I, I don't know what they're going to do for the next three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, they, and nobody in a lot of countries aren't going to want to play them because they're not very good. You don't learn anything. You know, they, right. India. You know, India's not probably not going to want to play Macau because you know why, they're going to get thumped by Myanmar. What what good does it do India to play them? You know, right. So fascinating intricacies of international football. Right. All right. So uh, I take it from the show notes that we should enter the messy room. <laughs> The the juxtaposition of the fluorescent yellow with the yeah. pink is, is something. It it's, looks like I have a black light on or something. <laughs> it is something. <laughs> so so what, what's going on in MLS? Uh, so they took off for the international break, which is interesting. They don't always do that. Um, okay. Because sure, why not? Why not just do your own thing? MLS to your own thing. Um, they did take off this one. We head towards uh, this Saturday is what's called Decision Day, which is just fancy branding for the last day of the regular season, uh, where it used to be um, all of the games were played at the same time. And then they, I guess, I don't know if it's this might be an Apple thing, or I don't remember, maybe they started doing it this year. They're actually staggering it so that all the Eastern Conference games are starting at, I think it's, I think, 5 o'clock my time or 6 o'clock your time. Um, and then the Western Conference games are starting two hours later. So they are being staggered so you could, I guess, can watch more of them. Um mm-hmm. But the idea, because of the size of the conferences now, basically all the, they're all I, I think DC United is the only team that's off. And then everybody else, they're all Eastern teams playing each other. All the Western teams will play each other. And this will help determine uh, the last playoff berths uh, and then also a lot of the seeding. I know specifically, I know teams we're paying attention to. Obviously, um, Miami is out. 
so they've been eliminated, so it doesn't matter. They actually have a makeup game. They're going to play Charlotte on, I want to say it's Thursday? And then they will play Charlotte again on Saturday. Um, which, from New York City's perspective, they are probably not making it. They need a bunch of things to go their way, including Charlotte not winning either of those games. So if Charlotte wins either of those games, New York City's out. Uh, Houston, meanwhile, is in, but they're playing for seeding, so they could be somewhere between second and I think like seventh in the West, depending on how the results play out on the last day. So it's going to get really weird. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is the end of the regular season and then they will start the postseason, which I'm not going to pretend I know how the MLS postseason works this year. Cause it's <laughs> apparent. I shouldn't say that. So they're going to do a eight, the eight, and nine seeds are going to play a one game knockout. And then the top eight in each conference will play a best two out of three for some reason, which is not, which, I don't, and then they're going to be single knockout the rest of the way because, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, that that seems novel. Yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. I it's, I'm just gonna just see what happens. Turn on the t- turn on the TV and see what happens. So, to all of the MLS subscribers out there, I want to also. Uh, let you guys know, I saw it just dropped uh, in the past few days, uh, Messi Meets America. This is a Messi-focused documentary that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I think you can get it with the MLS package, even if you're not a regular Apple TV Plus subscriber, but I, I may be wrong on that. But um, again, I, I don't I don't always know the exact details on that stuff because I have like everything that Apple offers at this point since I did end up <laughs> subscribing to MLS. That that was like the one thing that I didn't subscribe to, and, and now I have that too. Um but yeah, so I have not watched that yet. Um, my son registered interest. Um, I will at some point start watching it with him and finish it on my own if he doesn't want to finish it regardless. And uh, we can maybe uh, chat about that if there's anything interesting. But if, if, not, if not, then you know, for our viewers and listeners, it might be something that you might enjoy if you, if you are a fan of his. I, am, I imagine because he hasn't been playing in America for very long now, in the U.S. for very long, I imagine it's mostly focused on his past and <laughs> career building up to when he came here. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I, su- I suspect it's probably going to cover a lot more of like, not so much his playing, but sort of all the things that he has done since coming, like all the, some of the publicity stuff okay. or the experience of moving, the experience of moving to Miami and playing in the U.S. I suspect that's going to be the focus. Okay. I, I mean, yes, obviously we'll talk about the games, but I think it's the it's it's it, it'll give you the the impression of being behind the scenes. Although, of course, like all of these things are very carefully curated what they're showing to sure. you. Sure, I suspect that's what it's about. Um, yeah. I'm probably not going to watch that one, but okay. But but have fun, enjoy. <laughs> I hope it's good. I hope it's better than I think it'll be. So, <laughs> all right. So with that, uh, let me tell you about something that uh, that we enjoy on on the show. So uh, we want to give a thanks to Liquid IV for helping sponsor the show and keep it going. Um, you know, as you guys know from listening, uh, we're in the swing of not only soccer season up here, but also baseball. Um, I'm coaching both for my son and it's still warm enough that I'm still getting sweated out on the field. And, uh, when, when I do, I want to reach for that liquid IV and get my, uh, hydration in check. So as you may remember, liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand that's fueling your well being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning before a workout when you feel run down, after a long night out, and on long flights. It contains 
uh, three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, and it is non-GMO as well as free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Um, for me, I personally love it. Tastes really good. Um, my favorite flavor so far is a strawberry lemonade and it's super convenient to take with you because it's in powder form. So you just toss a stick in wherever you are. You just find 16 ounces of water. For me, it's usually a, a small sized uh, plastic water bottle, pour it in there, shake it up and it's good to go. So it's, uh, really convenient and tastes good and definitely makes you feel less thirsty after. So. That sounds good to you. If you want to try out Liquid IV, and we suggest you do, uh, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GUNER at checkout. That is G-O-O-N-E-R. There is no U in GUNER. That is 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GUNER at liquidiv.com. There is also a link in our show notes or description to make it easier. So as we've done in the past when we have an international break and no Arsenal matches to discuss, uh, I, I build up a list of questions all throughout the regular season play and, that are not directly pertinent to any match. So kind of evergreen questions that, that we can revisit. Um, the first that I've been thinking about recently is... I know that they talk about the fourth official and I'm just trying to get a handle on who are the officials on the field. So from what I am aware of, you have the main referee that we see like Michael Oliver or someone like that, who's on the field running back and forth with the players in the middle of things, trying to avoid getting hit by player and ball, uh, making the most of the calls that we generally care the most about. Then you have, I think one linesman on each touch line that is running up and down, maybe not as aggressively as the main on field ref, but their jobs are judging whether the ball is in or out of touch and um, offside, that that is their primary responsibility. Um, I'm also aware of VAR, which are themselves, I think, considered officials, considered referees, and they sit in a room watching video and seeing if they need to intervene at any point. Um, so who is the fourth official? Where does he sit or stand or run? What is his role? Like what, what, what is the fourth official? Who is the fourth official? Uh, yeah, you basically nailed it with the others. Uh, the, the, the linesmen are also empowered to sort of make notifications of foul. Sometimes if you see a foul in front of them, they'll sort of wave their flag in the air to sort of alert the referee. Hey, there was a foul. You need to call that. Um, they also will make calls on goal kicks. So anytime the ball goes out, so goal kick or corner, they're usually the one making that call first. And they can be overruled by the referee. That's you know, that's not unusual. And typically, you'll see them running. They'll only do one half of the field. So there's like the linesman on the near side. He'll run from the the touch line all the way up to uh, center field. And then you'll see on the other side, the other one will go center field all the way to the to the far side, the end line. So they're sort of covering the whole. They're not running the whole length of the field. As opposed to the referee, of course, who's everywhere. Right. Um, the fourth official is the one you see standing on the sidelines in the middle, right between the two the two managers and the two benches. Typically, if the manager is going to be shouting at an official, he's probably going to shout just as much as the fourth official, not because the fourth official is doing anything, but because he's standing there, so he can right. he's easy to yell at. Um, the fourth official is also the one who is in charge of things like substitutions and stoppage time, so they, they are the ones holding up the board to talk about who is coming in and out or how, okay. much, how many minutes are being added. That is the fourth official. That makes sense. Um, the VAR, you're correct. The VAR, the video assistant referee, is a fifth referee who is in a room somewhere. Um, 
watching the game on the monitor and is in contact via radio. And they all have the radios. You'll see them with the earpiece. They're all in commu- They can all communicate with each other. And you'll hear even during the game communicate. You'll see if the referee's touching his earpiece, it might be communicating with some of the linesmen or someone else uh, to keep an eye on something else is noticed or needed to be said. Right. Okay. And is there, I've been imagining a room full of VAR officials, like each maybe monitoring different video feeds or something. As far as you know, there's just one person who's making the calls. As I understand what what you're perceiving or you're, you're visualizing is something more akin to what happens in most of the American leagues where replays are handled by a central league office. So if you were to watch, um, if you were to watch like a, a major league baseball game, they'll talk about making a call to New York. They're not calling the Yankees. They're calling the league's office in New York where they have people on monitors watching the games. The NHL does, it uses the same Toronto as the same shorthand. Uh, in the, I believe in soccer, and I think this is true in the Premier League as well as other places, I believe the, the, the VAR is actually in the stadium. Oh, so you okay. have a VAR for, like, they'll mention the VAR, they'll give him a name, and I believe it's because he is officially, he is the official assigned to that game to do the video side of it. Okay. That's, I'm backing up in my mind a second. So the headquarters of our United States National Hockey League is outside the nation. Is that what I heard in Toronto? Well, remember, it's it, especially because it's hockey. I mean, there there are you know, it's it's a U.S. Canadian league. I mean, right? But yeah, American sports leagues are not the only one that's exclusively truly American. Is the NFL right? Um, but I mean, yeah, all the others. The NBA has a team in Toronto. Right. Major League Baseball has a team in Toronto. The NHL has you know, it's like seven teams in Canada uh, because. It's Canada right. and it's hockey. Uh, right, so the, right. I, the league offices, they do have offices in New York as well, but at the central, at least for this part, the office is in Toronto, which, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes as much sense. It, like, it doesn't really matter, you right. know, where where the league office is. It's just a central location where everything happens. Um, okay. That's, that's good to know. So next question. This one came up during uh, my son's U8 uh, soccer match this weekend. So, um this is U8. So these are like six, seven and eight year olds. Right. And the, we, we had a good official, like I'd say overall, and he, actually it turns out he's the brother of one of our players, which obviously you'd never see at a higher level of play, but for, for U8, who, who cares? Right. But he was actually the best official we've had so far. It was, it was a well-officiated game and you know, we don't ask a lot of them at this age, but he, he was good. Um, he was, he was doing a good job, but the, the coach on the other team kept on asking him direct or indirect, like with the free kicks and especially when it was near the goal. And I'm, I'm thinking, wait, okay, well, first of all, the answer was every single time indirect. Like they don't want these kids blasting the ball in the direction of the goal and likely hitting another kid in the face or something like that. They just don't want that to happen. But that led me to wonder in professional soccer when we're watching Arsenal or something, does the referee tell them whether it's a direct or indirect free kick? Because I'd been imagining it's up to them what they do with the ball. And it's just when it happens to be in a position that is close enough, you could score. Then that's where they form up. You see the other team form the wall and all that stuff. That's really just a matter of practical concerns. It's not a matter of a rule and the referee making a decision. Well, so yes and no. So as you point out, the big difference there is, of course, what what are they? A direct kick is a kick from which you can score. 
Now, a lot of times that's going to depend on position. You'll see where they're lined up, you know, trying to arc, do we arc it over the wall or do we try to maybe swing it in like almost like a corner and, you know, have someone head redirect and a header that way. Um, but an indirect kick is one where you cannot score from it. So someone else has to play the ball before it goes into the net. Um, there is a rather bizarre circumstance, and, and I'm going to read this off of a site I found, and I'm sure that I'm not 100% sure on the details, but I do recall this seeing happen. Um, the goalkeeper, if he touches the ball with his hands after he's released it, but before it's touched by anybody else, <laughs> there is an indirect kick where the second right. touch happens, which by definition, right, would be in the box. So you can actually have an indirect kick in the box. Right. You cannot score from that kick. You have to do something. Right. Now, sometimes what you'll see on the indirect kick, and, so, and sometimes this is where it gets hard to tell the difference of which is which. When we say someone else has to play it, you'll see sometimes a second player will just sort of roll, he put his foot on it and just kind of roll it forward, like a, a, just a rotation. It's now been kicked, and so the second player will just step up and blast it. And right. so, um, there are certain rules that lead to... Um, direct versus indirect kicks. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on all the differences in a lot of cases. Um, in a lot of cases, I think there are actually more rules uh, relate to where they can be, where they can be done. And a lot of times I think I'm trying to remember and I'm, I'm flipping through. Um, problem is mostly when you search for indirect free kick, it mostly tells you here's the difference between the kicks, not necessarily right. why. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, things like prevents the goalkeeper from releasing the ball. Um, They talk about commits any offense that stops play that does not warrant a direct free kick, which, okay. Um, So I I have to plead a little bit of ignorance on that particular point exactly, but... You know, this the distinction is made. That was my main question. Like, the, and it's according to rules, the referee will tell them no. This has to be an indirect kick, in some right. Sort. The referee has a certain discretion to that. To that, and sometimes you know you'll see it based on the way they line up. You can sort of guess. And other times, you know, they, you know, like we've we've talked a few times. You see, the Arsenal have two players, or even sometimes three players, standing over the ball in a free kick. That doesn't necessarily mean it's indirect. Sometimes they're just right. doing it. They do the step, you know, they run forward to the step over yeah. the ball before the third guy kicks it. Um, it's a misdirect. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a different. But the official, and the official will specify just so there's, there, they, there will be clarity. You, you, you won't see a goal scored and then have them pump, come back and say, wait, no, I'm sorry, that's, that was an indirect kick. You can't do that. Um, right. At least not at the major professional level, usually. Usually. Okay. Uh, so next up, um, I could use a reminder of the names of different positions on the field. So let's go kind of back to front, right? So yeah. Yeah. in the defensive line, so these are all the positions that end with back, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have a left back or a right back is the defender that primarily stays on the left or right side of the field when facing the opposing team's goal. Right. Yes. Um, and then those, those, by the way, those are also called fullbacks. Okay. Cause that, thank you. That was one of, that was going to be one of my questions, right? Cause okay. So that makes them, so that's weird. So what makes them a fullback? It has to do a lot with the way the formations were originally structured. 
as they were fully back as opposed to the halfbacks, which are only uh, halfway back. And I believe this is goes back to what was called the WM formation, which was pioneered by Herbert Chapman, Arsenal manager. Uh, but it's sort of the way players are structured um, on, on the field. It would look like a, a W and then an M. Right. And so the fullbacks, the wide defenders were, were the, I believe this is the case, were the, the wide, they were all the way back, fully yeah. back, as opposed to the what became the central defenders were further forward, only halfway back. Okay. Which, by the way, you can see this still if you if you when you watch football, you can have the quarterback, the right. halfback, and the fullback because of where they really theoretically stood in the line. Which, by the way, is completely divorced from where they would stand today. <laughs> okay, now that's all super helpful, and I that naturally led to the football question, right? Because yeah, you have a quarterback in football, you mm-hmm. don't in soccer. So yeah, that so that 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 all that's good to know. So then the central defensive players are those. Center backs is that term used? Those are center backs. You'll also hear them called halfbacks. That's that. Those are the halfbacks we're talking about. Okay, okay. Because because in that old formation, they wouldn't come all the way back. And you, Today, and, you yeah, and you might even call them. Sorry, we're doing the crosstalk thing, but but you might also call that. You also see that sometimes sometimes called a center half. <laughs> okay. So you center may hear in, in English media, you may hear that phrase dropped. That's what they're referring to. Okay. I'm going to leave it to you then to go over the midfield and striker like forward names. Cause I, those I, I kind of roughly in my head kind of have an idea of a midfielder and maybe a striker, maybe a winger. And I think those are maybe two of them, but I'll let, let, I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> yeah. So some of it is tactically specific. So you have, oh, let's start with the obvious, the central midfielder is in the center. You may also have a central attacking midfielder or a central defensive midfielder. Defensive midfielder, think Thomas Party, someone who generally plays a little further back, um, is more responsible for in being, you know, shielding the defenders, being a for, you know further back but still in the middle of the field. By the way, one position we didn't mention, one that has gone way out of style in the game, a defensive position called a sweeper. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine a back line of four or even three defenders, and then you would have the sweeper, who is an extra defender who plays behind the the you know the defensive line. And they said he sweeps up. He sort of covers he covers for everyone. I remember when I was younger, we played with this a lot. This was a popular formation because you always want somebody back there to sort of clean up the other defenders of the mess before you get to the keeper. Mm-hmm. Now. One of the things you'll hear, terminology you'll hear, as keepers have more and more become uh, people who play with their feet, and that is a very recent development, the idea of the keeper kicking the ball more often as opposed to uh, just worrying about with his hands, you'll sometimes hear them use the term a sweeper-keeper, uh, which, aside from being fun to say, is also a reference to the fact that you're playing this kind of role where you're, you're almost acting like you're, you're an extra defender, and so the keeper can make plays with his feet in the way an, what we call an outfield player would. Um, Manuel Neuer was the, was the German national keeper. I think he's, he's currently injured, which is why he's not playing for them uh, at the moment, but uh, has plays for Bayern Munich. He, um, he's generally regarded as a sweeper-keeper, very aggressive, makes, moves a lot, goes outside of his box regularly, plays very well with his feet. Um, so adding that position, uh, for a central attacking midfielder, you can think of someone probably a lot more like Odegaard. Um, you can, so they'll talk about the idea of a box to box midfielder. Granite Xhaka was this, someone who sort of plays in that space between the two boxes and very much makes runs going back to back and forth. Um, and then you have the wide players. Um, 
Whether or not they're wingers sort of depends on how they're used in the formation. You could theoretically have, uh, and the U.S. actually does this a little, U.S. nationally does this a little bit more, where their their midfielders tend to be narrower, and they use their their fullbacks, especially when it's Anthony Robinson and, and Serginho Dest, act more as wingbacks than fullbacks. They're really going hard up the hard up the wings um, because that fits their skill set a little bit better. So you'll see them pushing fo- pushing forward more, and the midfielders are staying more central. Um. And again, the more more we move into the modern, you know, modern football and the sort of the the tactical formulation, the increasing use of what was called the uh, you know the the total football idea, the Dutch, the positionless football, um, you'll see that a lot more players drifting around. I mean, we saw that last time. Right? Tomiyasu was suddenly playing as a forward on Martinelli's goal. Like, what is he doing there? Well, got you know, Alexander Zinchenko just goes wherever the heck he wants all over the field. Mm-hmm. Um, as you go to the, those are sort of in the midfielders, and you can get very specific tactical things. They're talking about uh, like a regista or a number ten, and and those refer to more. Those are more like tactical kind of things. Think about um, if you were to I, if we use the American football as a metaphor. Uh, quarterbacks, some of them are gunslingers, some of them are game managers, and that that's that's not really a position it's more reflection of the kind of role they play within their their uh, their systems same with these guys you know they they act certain ways uh, or they they're given certain responsibilities as far as the forward line goes um they're called forwards all of them are collectively called forwards a striker will generally play centrally and is effectively his job is to stay in the box and score goals um you will sometimes have what's called the false nine which is more of a midfielder who plays in that central area. But again, it's a tactical decision. The false line plays in that central position where a striker would be, but he doesn't do striker things. He sometimes will drop back while wingers or other forwards will make runs into, or midfielders will make runs into the box. And you've seen Arsenal do that sometimes as well. Um, you know, they, you use the striker in different ways. And then as far as the wide forwards, it sort of depends our players and Arsenal, you know, guys like, you know, Martinelli and Saka are much more like wings. They play very wide. They're out on the touchline. They go they go up and down, up and down, and then they cut inward. But other teams are going to play with their, their, you know, their top forwards are going to be a little more centrally located. Or, you know, we have a 4-3-3 formation where four defenders, three midfielders, three forwards. Other teams, the more traditional, the 4-4-2. So four defenders, four midfielders, and then two forwards up top, which, you know, you don't, now your midfielders act as your wide players. So a lot of it really comes down to who do you want filling these roles as you go forward and attack, and what are you expecting these players to do and interact with each other? And so in terms of names of positions, a lot of it is not so much where they play as what they're expected to do within your formation. Right. Okay. Uh, next question. This is a, a more recent, a more topical question, uh, unfortunately. So right now we at Arsenal are in the position of having a player with the literal number one sitting on the bench uninjured while we have someone with a different number who is our de facto number one who's playing keeper in basically every match at this point. Um would they take the number one away from Ramsdale once he has, I don't know if you'd say earned it, but once he's been given it, um, would they do that in the middle of the season? Is it just not done until he leaves the club? How is that situation typically handled? 
Uh, so fun fact, it used to be, and this, this stopped, I think in the, probably in the eighties, it used to be that shirt numbers were given out on game day and they were very positionally assigned. So the keeper would wear, and the keeper would wear number one. Um, that has long since gone away. Numbers are now associated more with individual players, which is why you see a player like Declan Rice wears 41. You'd never see a 41 on the field. That was ridiculous. Um, in this sense, Part of what happens at the beginning of the season, you hear them talk about registering your roster. That is, this is the official ro- our official roster we submit to the league. This is who is going to play for us or can play for us this year, and we can only make changes based on injuries. And even then, you, the roster is larger than you than you would have even on game day because the idea is it already accounts for your injuries. Ramsdale is number one. He is Arsenal's number one for the rest of the season. Now, if he were to say, hypothetically, I'm not saying this could happen, right. but hypothetically, if we were to sell him in January and he left the club, I suppose Raya could wear the number one, could take the number one shirt because it would be available. Um, that's generally unlikely. You're not going to see a lot of that kind of change happen during the season, in part because it's registered on the lineup card. Um, you know, a lot of jerseys have been printed with names and numbers on them. So yeah, I, I would, I do not expect to see that. The, the number one shirt in this case, if we talk about it being taken away, is the symbolic nature of being the number one keeper. Not his shirt will his shirt at least for the rest of the season will say Ramsdale one, and probably will say that for the remainder of the time he's at Arsenal. Um, you know. Like we saw, Emil Smith-Rowe was given the number 10 uh, before last season. Now, granted, some of this is due to injury, but we haven't seen him play very much. And also, I mean, number 10 is an important number. You know, it it, it symbolizes, if nothing else, a player who theoretically would start regularly. And we barely, we really have not seen that much of him at all this year. And that's just sort of a reflection of the number now more being associated to the player than to their position. Right. Okay, that's yeah, I, yeah, that's that's somewhere around what I, what I was figuring. So yeah, thanks for confirming. Um, so ticket sales. Um, I had mentioned to you uh, someone who I know at work. Uh, we'd never really talked soccer before, but then um, last week he told me he was going to London last weekend. Now, this is the Friday before the Arsenal Manchester City match, and having never talked to him about soccer before, I said, "Ah, you should go see Manchester City and Arsenal." He's like, "Yeah, actually, I try, but those tickets are crazy expensive. I'm going to go see West Ham and Newcastle." Um, so you had indicated that there's maybe an interesting way that ticket sales work in England compared to domestically in the U.S. Uh, what's what's going on there? Well, the, the big thing you'll see is the U.S. is a very robust, we'll call it a secondary ticket market. Um, in the old days, we call it scalping, where you could get into a game, of course, just by kind of walking around the stadium and there'd be people outside, you know, tickets, tickets, and they'd sell tickets. Uh, theoretically at lower than face value or maybe marked up if the game is particularly big. Um, and then, you know, or, you know, they're all games you can play like, oh, you know, right after, I'll wait till right after kickoff and then buy the ticket because then the guy game started. I need to unload these. Sure. Whatever you got in your wallet, I'll take it. Um, you know, you got 20 bucks. Fine. Here you go. (laughs) Um, that is that is frowned upon extensively in Europe. Now, I'm about to say that process in the U.S. has been standardized through site, sites like StubHub and right. you know, SeatGeek and all these sort of ways we have of reselling people selling and t- buying and selling tickets. You know, through all these uh, you know different uh, online marketplaces. And apparently, in England, that is just not okay. They don't do it. If you want to buy a club, you ha- want to buy a ticket, you have to do it through the club itself. Um. 
And so there are ways to, there are waiting lists you can get on. There are ticket exchanges, but you also have to be members of the club. I've, I've never done it. So I don't really know uh, exactly the process involved in it. I know, especially if you're an American, like being a member of Arsenal America, which is sort of the umbrella of all the supporters group in the U.S. I think that's generally, they will actually let you, you can actually then purchase tickets directly from the club, like before they're even sold. Then there's also a secondary marketplace where people can say, oh, okay, I'm not going to this game, so I put my ticket on the marketplace, and someone else will buy it from there. But it's all done through the club. Right. Um, so it's a little different than it is in the U.S., um, which I sort of find interesting because I buy most tickets to games through things like StubHub because right. you know, why pay face value if I don't have to? Well, sure. Yeah, StubHub is an interesting development. I mean, before – I think that was really the one that kind of opened the floodgates for <laughs> – sanctioned resale of tickets. I mean, I think before then, and probably to this day, scalping, like you were saying, just selling them outside the stadium, that was illegal. And you need to be careful like who you were offering your scalped tickets to because they could be a cop and you could get locked up from what I recall. Yeah, although there was a lot of sort of wink and a nod, look the other way about it. A lot of teams were basically like, just like, don't do it. Like if you're a block away, we don't, and we don't see. We can pretend it's not happening. Like there was a lot of sort of. I didn't see. I definitely didn't see money change hands for. I didn't see that. You know, there's a lot of sort of looking the other way. As long as you weren't super brazen about it, uh, yeah. you know, especially like right outside the stadium, that's when right. teams are like, okay, go away. But you know, you're a block or two away. I mean, they can all. You know, the cop can see you, but like, eh. yeah, okay, so. We've we've talked a lot, especially this season. It's come up uh, as far as baseball as well as soccer, but um, shirt sponsors, and this is a growing trend. Um, I was curious. So knowing that in the U.S., it's the team that I'm still most familiar with as far as national teams go, um, they have sponsors for like everything. They'll have the official cereal. They'll have the official car the official English muffin. I, I I don't know. Right. Like they have an official everything, right? Like somebody's given them money for in like every industry across the whole country. And mm-hmm. yet, it, as I recall, there is no U S shirt sponsor. And I don't recall seeing them for any others. Is that banned by FIFA or is it just like a bridge that hasn't been crossed yet? <laughs> I don't believe it's been officially banned, but I think it's because the national team's uniform is is different, you know. They, they especially for some countries, it is in some ways akin to almost the flag, like right. Especially the bigger countries that have more distinct, you know, definitely more distinctive uniforms. I mean, even even Mexico in the green or Brazil's yellow or you know the you know maybe um, Peru with the white with the red sash. You know, they have some very distinctive looks. Um, that being said, you will, I mean, you'll see like warm up jerseys will have, you know, logos all over them. You look at, I feel like there was a period there might have been some, but you, you, you would never see it in like a major or sanctioned competition. You see it maybe in a friendly, but I have not seen that in a long time. If I could, I could just be misremembering that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, no, that the national team will not have a shirt sponsor just because that's sort of seen. That scene is a little, that's a little gross. And you think about, I mean, some countries like the U.S. has a flag code, the way you're supposed to treat it and all that stuff. That's all custom. There's no penalty if you do it wrong. In other countries, there are real laws about how you treat the national flag. And the jersey is not an equivalent to the flag, but there's, it's not as big a difference as you might necessarily think. So not even a shirt sleeve sponsor. That's yeah, it's interesting. 
<laughs> no, the only, the only, typically the only, the only uh, logo is you'll see on the shirts other than the 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 crest is, of course, the manufacturer's logo. So Nike, Adidas, sure. whoever. Um, Okay. Or any of the various, you know, any of the various ones that you get when you get start getting small Caribbean countries or parts of Central Africa, right? Some companies you've never heard of. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we conclude, I think there was one thing that uh, we forgot to mention when we were discussing uh, news and current events. There's a story that you thought our listeners and viewers might appreciate. Yes. So I sent this along mostly because I thought it was adorable. So uh, RCD Espanol. Uh, out of Barcelona as a Spanish club. They're currently in, in the second Spanish second division. Um, used to be called the Segunda. Now it's, I don't know what it's called now, but anyway, they're, they're in the second division. They've been in the top division. They play Barcelona, you know, they're in the city of Barcelona. Um, for their most recent game uh, la- uh, this past week, they came out um, instead of having. We've talked about the the mascots, the small, the little kids who come out, hold, they hold hands with. And this, they came out with eleven dogs from a local shelter that were looking for a home, and so it was to promote adopt pet adoption and you know raise awareness about you know stray dogs on the streets of Barcelona. And it's it's just adorable, you know. <laughs> It's just, it's just so adorable. So, That's a nice idea. Good, yeah, good for Espanol, and um, you know, they're all good dogs. I'm sure. Yeah. the The most interesting thing to me about that, and I saw it just from the link that you had posted before I even opened the link. RCD Espanol has a mm-hmm. Y after the N instead of a tilde, instead of like the Ñ in in Spanish. D- do you know where that come from? That that interested me. Uh, so they well, so they're based in Barcelona, and if you go to Barcelona, the uh, you know the language there is not Spanish; it's right. Catalan. Um, I I will be honest. I they uh, so again, uh, good old Professor Wikipedia here. It did actually start being spelled uh, Espanol with the the tilde, the end with the tilde, um, and then apparently av- uh, at the this came. Uh, during, well, it was, it was changed shortly before the Spanish Civil War into something more, the, the Catalan name, because it's all tied into the Republican politics and Catalan nationalism and all of that. Um, after the Civil War, the Franco regime made them use the, the Spanish spelling, and then apparently, um, they re- started reusing the Catalan name in 1995. So okay. that is the Catalan way of spelling that uh, name. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> so what's up for next week? Uh, so next week, Arsenal's back. Uh, we are back on Saturday. Uh, the, our, our gunners will be a, uh, in Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, a London derby, and then looking ahead to next week. Obviously, we will record before this, but we will, you know, you, no one will see it before this. Uh, we play uh, at Sevilla in the Champions League. Probably expected to be our toughest group game, uh, but we'll see. But we embark, I, sort of, it's interesting to think about, you know, we have another seven games between this and the next international break in November. And, you know, looking at our schedule at Chelsea, at Sevilla, Sheffield United at home, at West Ham for the League Cup, at Newcastle, home against Sevilla in the Champions League, and then home to Burnley. Our last stretch between international breaks, uh, you know, seven games, we went uh, five wins, a draw, and a loss. 
that would look pretty good this time around. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, at Chelsea is no picnic. At Sevilla, Sevilla, either home or away is is tough. Who knows about the League Cup? We have to go to Newcastle, but we also get Sheffield and, and Burnley at home, which are games we ought to do pretty well with. So, yeah, there's sort of a lot of thing. You know, this is a interesting opportunity to sort of navigate as we go forward. I think we're going to learn a lot about where Arteta things about his roster, because I think we might see a little bit more rotation this time. You know, we're not going from a Champions League game to playing Manchester City. We're going from Sevilla, a Champions League game, to Sheffield at home, which is a game you might be able to get away with a more reduced roster. We have the League Cup in the middle, so I'll be very curious to see how Arteta chooses to navigate this next couple of weeks between the breaks. Right. That should be interesting. Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and if you're not, we certainly recommend you do, please like and subscribe. To support the show even more, you can become a Gooner U superfan for ad-free episodes and bootleg recordings available the night we record. It's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Liquid IV. You can find them with our special link in the description or show notes. You can follow our show on Twitter at GoonerUShow for updates and to ask questions. Again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith. And you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. London is red.